each of you here this morning. I'm excited to continue our series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. As I was preparing for this uh, week's sermon, it's called Journeying Through the Wall. That's the name of the chapter in the book. So we're going to develop that a little bit this morning. But one of the things that came to mind was <clears throat> that song or rhyme that went, I'm going on a bear hunt. I'm going on a bear hunt, bear hunt, something like that. Uh, and then it said, said something like, Yes, got to catch a big one. And then it says, I'm not scared. And then you repeat, I'm not scared. And then it, and then just to like skip forward a little bit, it's like, can't go over it. Can't go over yet and can't go under it. Can't go around it. Got to go through it, right? And so anyway, that came to, I did a terrible job of giving you a rendition of that uh kids rhyme, but it just, it's so funny because it came to mind because as I'm considering and thinking through journeying through the wall, like it literally, you cannot go around it, you cannot go over it, and you cannot like do anything but go through it. And so that's what we're talking about this morning is journeying through the wall. And yet I think one of the important things that we have to understand is how did we get here and why are we in this space where we would even um, use language like journeying through the wall. And what we talked about last week of unpacking our past and, and recognizing the, the impact that our past has on our present, that the fact that our past and our family systems that we grew up in, uh, the experiences that we had, whether that be trauma, loss, um, brokenness, uh, all of those things, um, the good and the bad, inform our present and inform uh, who we are today and how we relate to the world around us and it informs our view of God and so we're going on a journey through emotionally healthy spirituality and it is a journey and it is not something that is linear I think so often uh, what we want to do is we want something that is black and white and straightforward and it's linear and we go here and then we go here and yet we have to recognize that this is a journey of transformation that there are ebbs and flows there are there's chaos and then there's order there's good and then there's bad there's sorrow and there's joy and that is the the journey of transformation and so everything within us oftentimes desires to get out of it. We want to go around it. We want to go over it. We want to figure out how we cannot actually go through it. In fact, in some of the conversations I've had uh, with, with you guys, just a few here and there is, and Brad mentioned this earlier, but uh, how do I, like, is there something, a chapter at some point that really gives me the practical tools of how to deal with this, <laughs> you know, how to do this, you know, so we want so much to be able to um, just have five steps of, okay, first we do this, and then we do this, and then we do this, and man, then, then we're good, and yet the realization we're learning through this series is that it is a journey, again, with ebbs and flows, and so part of what happens, and Peter Scazzaro talks about this in his book, and as we're unpacking our past, it leads us to a place where we literally feel like we're standing at a wall, um, where we feel like we've entered into a land that um, we cannot recognize. We're, we're looking for things that we can grab a hold of, that some anchoring points that we can set ourselves in so that we don't completely lose ourselves as we're unpacking and, 
and allowing God to just really go beneath the surface of our lives to, um, to a place where we are actually going to experience true inward transformation. And part of the visual that's been in my mind uh, through this series and even through just a lot of the things that we talk about at Essence Place, because we have always been intentional, not just um, at this series, but we've been intentional from the very beginning about going deep and getting to the heart of the matter. That's why the name of our church is Essence Place. It's like literally let's get to the very essence, to the very core of our our, um, lives in Christ. And so what I see sometimes happening, and I experience it in my own life, is that in this uncovering and this unpackaging, what happens is oftentimes, you know, especially through this series, God's pulling out some things out of our lives, right? He's revealing some things in our heart and our souls. He's revealing some things um, the way that we think, you know, uh, Pastor Brad prayed over that earlier, those messages in our mind. And God is is bringing recognition and acknowledgement to those places inside of us that are unsurrendered, those places inside of us that are just so broken and so full of pain. And he's uncovered all of it. And we're sitting here with it in our hands. And we're kind of just looking at it. And we're kind of just staring at it. And it is really overwhelming. And it is really weighty, heavy stuff. And we're just kind of walking around and it's like, wow, like it was there buried and I couldn't really see all of it. But now it's here and it is in front of me. And I have a decision to make. That is coming up against the wall. When we have unpackaged, we're literally as though we had a backpack on our backs of weight and God's pulling it out bit by bit to help us see what we've been carrying around and the way that it's impacting us. And we look at all of it laying out in front of us and the enormity of it, the magnitude of how dark it can feel and how painful it can feel can literally cause us to just stop in our tracks because it is overwhelming to consider everything that's been inside of us. It's, it, it, it's enormous to consider the impact of our past, that if you are genuinely taking those steps to really explore your family system and really explore the dynamics of those relationships and where you fell in the midst of them and the impact that they had on you, where you are willing to take that box of trauma and you are willing to actually open the door to it and know, like literally as it says, open Pandora's box, when you start doing that process, it's enormous. And what Peter Scazzaro talks about, we love the language that he used, is that it, it ushers us into this place where we are literally at a wall and we're journeying through what he talks about is the dark night of the soul. Now, Peter Scazzaro does not introduce this concept of the dark night of the soul. The dark night of the soul is an ancient understanding of this place in our journey where we feel like we are drowning and it is very dark, And we're going to talk about, we're going to walk through a description of what that looks like. But really, it's as though we've unpackaged everything and we're just standing here with it in front of us. And we have a decision to make. We can't go around it. We can't go over it. We have to go through it. And yet, that's our decision to make. It's our decision to make. And so... I read last week from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, and I want to read it again because I think that it's such a foundational scripture for us. It says, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And then may you have the power to understand. You see, at this point, if... You know, we talked about this last night, and I kind of set this visual image before you as though we... We want Christ to make a home in our heart. And in fact, 
Christ is dwelling in our heart. And there's this home that he's in, and yet the home hasn't necessarily been constructed by the truth of who God is and the truth of his word and the truth of his character. The home has actually been constructed by our families growing up and our experiences growing up and our own brokenness, both the good and the bad. And so Christ is dwelling in this home that right now in this process, as we go through a journey of transformation and we're willing to deal with the heart, that it really, in essence, what he's doing is that he's deconstructing and he's dismantling the homes that we've built so that what can happen is that he can rebuild a healthy, sure foundation, strong home in which Christ dwells and we dwell. And it is immovable. It is unshakable. It is true. And it is full and clear of the unconditional love and acceptance of Jesus Christ. But that home, that original home that we built has got to be dismantled and it's got to be torn down. And again, it's when that that dismantling is occurring and we're standing in the midst of the ruins, literally around us of like, this is what, I mean, because I remember this in my journey of this is what this was. And now it's literally in ruins around me. Everything that I thought was true, everything I, I hoped had would be true or everything that I was scared actually was true about God and about people and about myself. It's just in ruins around me. And we're looking at it and he's calling us to say, will you be in the midst of the ruins? And then will you trust my light to come into the midst of the darkness with you? traveling through, journeying through the darkness so that I can begin to rebuild a home where I will dwell, Christ will build a home in our hearts and the roots will go down deep and then we will have the power. You see, we can't have the power to understand, to know, to even fathom, to see how great God's love is for us if our homes are so broken. You see, I have this suitcase in in our house, in our bedroom. And this suitcase is full of stuff. And that suitcase, I am so kind of ashamed to admit this, but that suitcase has been sitting in the corner of our room for a year and a half now. Now, where where is that suitcase from? Okay, so in 2018, August of 2018, I went to visit my grandmother. Actually, it was probably July into August. I went to visit my grandmother because she was literally at the end of her life. And I was able to make that trip and go. And I was able to spend, literally, it was the last week of her life with her. She passed away two two days after I left. And so in that time of spending with my grandmother... My grandmother is so funny. You know, she, she's like a woman of God um, and no nonsense. So she had went around through the last several years. She had went around the house and she had labeled things in the house with all of our names. I mean, she has, oh gosh, 25 plus grandchildren and like 15 great grandchildren. And there's so many uncles and aunts and all of that. But she literally has sticky notes all over her house of labeled of who was supposed to take what, what she wanted to give. And then everything else she said, you know what? I want you to go through the house and anything you want, Kristen, I want you to take it now. It was such the, it was hard. It was so difficult. And yet I understood why she was doing it. Well, my grandmother was a painter and so an oil painter. And so um, she had hundreds of paintings in her home. She had the ones that were hanging on the wall and then she just had stacks and stacks of oil paintings. And so it's like, how am I supposed to you know, I, I only have a suitcase. My in-laws had an extra suitcase I could bring home. So I went through that week with her, t- her telling me to all 
kinds of awesome stories. We talked about my dad. You know, we talked about them growing up. Um, I got to ask some of the questions I've always wanted to ask. Just a really good, beautiful time. And while I'm doing this, I'm, I'm pulling stuff out. Things, memories of my father's growing up as a baby, Bibles, paintings, all of this. And then I packed it all into a suitcase and I brought it home with me. And I was like, that suitcase represents so much good and yet so much pain. I can't go through that right now. So I put the suitcase in the corner. I said, I just need some space to deal with the grief of losing my grandmother. And then I'll pull that suitcase back out and I'll put the paintings up and I'll, you know, I had some things for the boys and for Haven and all of that. That suitcase has sat there for 18 months at this point since August or something like that, whatever that was, August 2018. And that suitcase came back to mind going through this because that's literally what we do. We go through all of the stuff, all of the memories, all of the past, all of the good, all of the pain, and then it becomes really overwhelming. So we pack it away and we put it away. You say, oh, you know, I'll deal with that. Like I am, I promise, like I'm gonna deal with that. I know it's important, but I just can't do that right now. And then we put it over there thinking we'll get to it next week or the next or the next. And then here we are years later. That is journeying, trying to journey over the wall rather than journeying through the wall. And so I'm giving you this long setup because I just know from my personal experience of my own dark night of the soul and my own journeying through the wall that everything within you in this series is resisting. Everything within you is full of tension to say, I don't think I really want to deal with this right now. Everything within you is saying, I really want to deal with this, but I don't even know how to deal with this. I don't know what the steps would be. And then many of us are thinking, there might not be an end. If I continue to go through this, if I continue to be in the midst of this darkness, there, may, there might not be actually an end to the darkness. I may die in darkness, but I have hope for you today. I'm here because I have hope for you today that there will be an end to the darkness, that there will be um, a place where you come out on the other side more whole and more redeemed and more full of trust with a healthy home and a sure foundation. But it takes time. And we ask, how long does this take, oh God? How long will I be here? And we don't know. We don't know how long it takes to work through our past. I've been working through my past. I've been working through all the mess of emotions and I've been working through this journey for over seven years. But I am coming to a place where those chapters are starting to close and a new chapter is being formed. And the home that I'm standing in and the home that Christ has built in my heart is more sure and it's unshakable than it's ever been before. So I'm here today with hope. St. John of the Cross talked a lot about the dark night of the soul. And Peter Scazzaro uses his work through the, through the talking about the dark night of the soul, and he talks about it like this. The God seeker is initiated through the loss of material and psychological possessions, a direct challenge to a person's fundamental sense of safety and security. The ego is attached to power, control, reputation, and material things. During the dark night of the soul, we are compelled to open our hands and let go of all that ego values. The soul then tumbles into a state of unknowing so profound that he is propelled into isolation, for the journey requires solitude. 
It's a lot of words. It's a lot of language. What does that, what does that mean? Let's say it again in another way. God is purging the soul, annihilating it, emptying it, or consuming in it, even as a fire consumes the moldiness and the rust of metal, all the affections and imperfect habits which it has contracted its whole life, these are deeply rooted in the substance of the soul. At the same time, it is God who is working here in the soul. So it's an uncovering, an unpackaging of all of our selfishness, of all of our brokenness, of all of our pain, where we sit with it in front of us, and we see it, we want to let it go, we want to get rid of it, we want to move forward into a new place, a new belonging, to being a whole person, but it's going to usher us into a place of darkness, it ushers us into a place where we feel like in doing all of that, we actually were abandoned by God. There are some of us in this room that as you've been going through this series, that you might actually feel in dealing with some of the stuff that you've been abandoned by God. That somehow you made a mistake in allowing yourself to start to work through. Some of you, many of you, have started count over the last couple of years. You may have started counseling. You may have started therapy. I remember when I started counseling and I started unpackaging, I remember I literally thought this was the worst decision I have ever made. I am more upset and more depressed and more discouraged and so overwhelmed. This is crazy. (laughs) And I gave up for a while and then I went back. And then when I finally stuck with it, that crazy and that darkness and all of it actually began to transition to being empowered. That for the first time, I was gaining control over my emotions. I was gaining control over my experiences. I was gaining control. But we can be ushered into this place where we just feel like it is so dark. But how, again, how do we get ushered into this place? We get ushered into this place, as I said, as we're unpacking and as, as we're, we're moving through. Sometimes what ushers us into this place is there's a, a precipitating event of a crisis or a loss or a trauma. Some of you are like, man, you're talking about this series ushering me into a dark soul. I've been in a dark soul or dark night of my soul for years, for a decade. Trauma and loss and change and transition and all of those things can usher us into a place where we feel like God has completely forgotten us. The psalmist David does such a great job of of describing and lamenting these dark nights. In Psalm 88, verses 12 through 14, it says, Will your wonders be made known in darkness? It's a question. And your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness I, O Lord, I've cried out to you for help. And in the morning, my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? You see, in the darkness, we can become confused and believe that God has completely abandoned us, that we have literally been rejected. And yet what, we're, what I'm here today to tell you is that this is kind of a normal process. But more than that, It's that, no, it's actually the opposite, that God is more present 
than he's ever been before, that there's more hope than there's ever been before, because there's this invitation by our Savior to go deeper. That's what's happening in the dark night of our soul, is that he is, in fact, very much present, and the Bible says that his light shines in the midst of the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. So although we're surrounded by darkness right now, there is a path of light that still exists in the midst of the darkness, even when we cannot see it, even when we cannot feel it, even even if we cannot trust it to be true, our head and our, the knowledge in our mind needs to know and be confident that there is still a light, albeit small, a light shines in the midst of the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. So when you are in the midst of the darkest night of your soul, in the midst of this journey where you literally cannot see a step in front of you, be still and know that he is God and that he is in the mist. He is in the mist. In that dark night of the soul, the good feelings of Christianity and the good feelings of Christ's love, they evaporate. In the midst of the dark night of the soul, nothing works anymore. A lot of times scripture reading does not work. A lot of times praying does not work. Serving at church no longer works. Talking with a good friend about God no longer works. In the midst of the dark night of the soul, everything that we clung to, to feel better. All of our coping mechanisms, they're no longer working. Even the good ones will not necessarily be working. And it is in that state where the enemy comes in, the enemy of our soul comes in and wants to confuse us, wants to distract us, wants to trick our minds into thinking that God is not present, but he is working. And so in all of that, we have to make an everyday decision, an every moment decision to say, here am I, oh God. I will be in the midst of this. I don't understand it. I can't always comprehend it. I can't define it. But I will be here in the midst of this because I am trusting and believing I am having faith in what I cannot see. I'm having faith that you are present and that you are in fact very much working and you are moving. There's a phrase in scripture that we see time and time again and it's, it's Hineni, it's here am I. When God calls out to people and he's doing a work in their life and they respond, Hineni, here am I, oh God. And God is calling your name today in the midst of this journey, in the midst of your dark night of the soul. He's saying, hey, are you here? Are you gonna stay in this? Are you gonna trust me? Because I'm here and it's our response to our good God, even when we can't feel it to say, Hineni, here am I, O Lord. Hineni, here am I in the midst of the darkness. Like it says in Psalm 139, Hineni, yes, Lord, here am I. Search my heart. Let me know if there's any anxious way inside of, way, inside of me because I trust and believe, Lord, that you will lead me in the everlasting way. You see, it's a promise for Christ to work in us. It's a promise for Christ to work in us. And there's this kind of cycle that occurs, and I have a picture to show you an image of that cycle where we take this journey inward. We start taking a journey inward, and we start saying, you know what, I'm kind of tired of the surface-level stuff, and I'm ready to go deeper. So we start the journey inward, and then there's a battle of the will that occurs where we begin literally wrestling out, wrestling out, 
what does this mean? <laughs> what is happening here? We begin wrestling out, what is God doing? Where are you, God? We can actually get angry in the midst of the battle. There's a battle within us to, to again, continue through or to escape. Will I escape? Will I go through? Will I stay? Will I run? Will I withdraw or will I engage? And much like Jacob, the story of Jacob in the Old Testament wrestled with the Lord to hear from him. We wrestle through to get through the other side. We see this time and time again in scripture, a battle of the will where we see Jesus, even himself in the garden, praying to the point of tears that produce blood of saying, God, is this your will? Is this your will, O oh God? A battle of the will of wrestling. A battle of the will. And then there's this mourning period that occurs. That as If we'll get through that battle of the will and we'll say, yes, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to push through. I won't stop. I'll keep moving through. There's a mourning that occurs. Because if we'll get through the, to the other side of wrestling with our will, we begin to mourn. We begin to deeply mourn the brokenness that we see in front of us. There are pages in my journal. This is like from several years ago through my own journey. And I wanted to read it to you today because I want you to hear that this is not just some random truth in scripture and then a, a guy, Peter Scazzaro, who wrote a really good book about it. But this is real stuff. I've walked through this. And I'm standing here today celebrating the goodness of God. I wrote in my journal, I feel abandoned by God. And while I'm fully aware this is not true, this is how I feel. This year has been hard and difficult and it has been messy. There was nothing that ever promised that this would be an easy journey. And I fully anticipated the hard, yet there was no way I could fully anticipate the deep grief. In the crudeness of my heart, a heart that feels wounded and abandoned, a heart that struggles to feel at all hopeful, a heart that just seems very broken in all of the ways that it's failed, I just think it's not fitting for a king. In all of his beauty and glory, this heart is just too messy to house the king of the world. Because he may not be able to handle the questions or the confusion or the doubt that seems to just set camp in my soul. Can this God, the Savior of the world, really make a home alongside of my mess? In those moments when we can't see him and we can't feel him, and yet we're looking at the brokenness of our lives, the brokenness of our souls, when we're literally unpacking trauma and abuse and other harmful things that have occurred in our, our life, we can literally believe that God has rejected us. And there is a deep mourning within us. When we're unpackaging all of this and when we're willing to really deal with the heart and see the pain and we realize that we actually are culprits in it, that it's not everybody else and it's not just our family systems and it's not just the people that we grew up with and it's not just the people that harmed us, but that we are culprits in it, that we are participants of it. There is a mourning that occurs in our heart of our own brokenness not just the brokenness of others that impacted us. And yet here's the, the grace and the truth and the hope in all of this is that if we allow God to move in our heart through these spaces of mourning, you, you see God begins to shatter all that was important to us, all that we thought we needed, all that we thought made us content, all that we thought we would need. 
He shatters all of that. And he begins to form in our heart greater dreams to know him more. Because you see, God's primary purpose in our life, it's not to make us comfortable. It's not to make us content. It's not to just glide on the surface of life, pretending everything is okay and insisting on doing what I can to make myself happy and okay. That is not God's primary purpose. That's the world's purpose. But that is not God's primary purpose. It's not to make us content and comfortable based off of material possessions or material things, even relationships. But you see, God's primary purpose in our life is to bring us to a place where we see our need of him and then we see how he fulfills that deep need, that deep thirst for him and that he truly is the living water that never runs dry because you see not in his unkindness, but in his kindness, he leads us to repentance and not in his um, lack of compassion, but in his compassion, he brings us to a place where we realize we truly begin to realize everything that scripture tells us and everything that he tries to show us is that this world is not our home, that this world is not a stable place, that as much as we can love a spouse or as much as we can have a good friend or as much as we can adore our children or as much as we can just put everything into making a stable, lasting career that will set us for life financially, He tries to show us those things are not stable and they are not secure. They are in fact ever changing. But I, I am the one who is constant, who never changes, the one who will never leave you, the one who will never forsake you. I am the sure foundation, the immovable one, the one that is literally never shaken when the world shakes, I don't shake. So if you could find your contentment And if you could find your hope in me, you too will be immovable. You too will be unshakable. That's this process of mourning. You see in Matthew chapter five, it says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And the mourning isn't in that. Blessed are those who lose and mourn. No, basically what it's saying, not material things, not people. What that's saying is blessed are those who mourn their own brokenness their own pain. They will be comforted. Blessed are those who find themselves in a place where they are humble and they are contrite in spirit. Blessed are those who realize that they are in fact very poor. Blessed are those who realize that they are in fact very broken for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who seek after righteousness, for they will be filled. That's what it talks about in Matthew chapter five. It flips upside down the world's view and everything within our humanity that desires to find happiness and comfort in everything else, it flips it upside down and brings us back to the foot of the cross and brings us back to Christ as center. That's the mourning that occurs because I tell you in our humanity, as that process is happening, everything within us wants to reject that. Everything within us wants to rationalize it, wants to justify, no, I need this because of this. Everything within us, wants to push away from that concept. It goes against our humanity. But in that state of mourning, in that cycle of mourning, God is breaking us in his kindness and his compassion. And he's moving in graciousness. Call it a tender surgeon that comes in with such precision that he's not gonna wound every area around, but he's gonna come in with precision 
and he's gonna take care of the mess. He's gonna take care of the disease. He's gonna take care of the pain, piece by piece by piece. And the beauty of who God is and the faithfulness of who God is is that he does it little by little. We want it overnight, but I can tell you we couldn't handle it overnight. If we want the real thing, the real deal, and we want true abundant life, we could not handle what will happen to us overnight. So God in his kindness says it's a journey, it's a process, and it's time. And he goes slowly, more slowly than we want, more slowly than we desire. But if we stick with him, we bring that, that circle back up. If we can stick with him, it's going to lead us to a place of surrender. After all that mourning, all that working through the battle of the will, it's going to lead us to a place where we just simply sit and rest. A place where we find blessing and we find trust. A place where we are no longer like with teeth like, oh, like grinding our teeth and like trying so hard to say, yes, Lord, here I am. I'll keep going through this. I'll keep going through this. But we're all of a sudden we move to a place where like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep going through this because I see, I'm seeing the fruit of your work. There are so many of us in this room that have actually been on this journey for a while now, for a long time. And if I could, I would start naming them one by one because I would show those of you that maybe are in the beginning of the journey. Maybe you're just starting this journey. But there are some people in this room that they're already through to the surrender part. And you could come alongside each other and they could say, hey, it's going to be okay. I promise it's going to be okay. Because God will be with you. Because I've experienced it in my own life. So my encouragement to you in that is I'm not going to blow someone's spot up this morning by saying, this person, this person, like they're further along, go talk to them. But those people that you find yourself in this place of surrender or maybe even further redemption, which we're going to talk about as we end in just a second, you make yourself known. Make your journey known. As we tell stories to one another, we build community with one another, we build compassion with one another, and we have companions alongside of us in the journey so that we're not alone. You see, as we move through surrender, it starts to move us quickly to a place of redemption. If anything, what's happening is it's simultaneously happening. The more we surrender, the more redemption. The more we surrender, the more redemption. And while this, is, this looks very like, linear and fluid or whatever you would call that. I'm not a graph person, but like it looks like it's happening like stage one, stage two, stage three. But the thing is, is that many of these actually might be happening at the same time. As you're battling your will, you're also mourning. But as you're battling your will, you're actually experiencing some redemption because you're seeing some fruit of your willingness to continue along the process. Why? Because again, the light shines in the midst of the darkness and the darkness won't overcome it. So there's going to be moments in this journey where the darkness is consuming you, but because the light shines in the midst of the darkness and the darkness doesn't overcome it, the light is what is holding you together. The light is what the redemption is, where you have a day or you have a week or you have months here and there where you're like, God's light is shining in the midst of this. And yeah, there's still some darkness here, but man, God is doing a work and I'm experiencing his redemption and trust is building within me and hope is building within me and abundant life. I'm beginning to just see a glimpse of what that's like because that's the beauty of Christ in us is that he never leaves us alone. He never leaves us alone in the midst of, we might be in the dark night of the soul, this just incredible thing, but God never leaves us alone in the midst of that. So there 
maybe some of this happening at the same time because God is so good that way. But in our surrender, simultaneously, it's leading us to a place of redemption. And that's where I want to land this morning. You see, the redemption first begins to occur. There's a couple things that happen in redemption. And it begins to occur through the, uh, this um, new knowing of God. You see, as I talked about earlier, that we have these homes and it's created these views of God that actually cause us to resist coming to him in our pain. But the more we allow him to dismantle and deconstruct, again, remember that scripture says, now you'll have the power to know Christ's love for you. Your roots will grow down deep. He'll make a home in your heart. So as those things begin to be deconstructed and dismantled and something new is being birthed, the, the biggest new that's being birthed, the greatest foundation of the new that's being birthed is a new knowing a new knowing of Christ's love for us, a new, I talked about this last week, a new awareness where we see Christ's love in a way that we have never seen before because we were seeing Christ through the lens of other things and other people and other institutions. But now we're seeing Christ's love literally one-on-one. There's nothing standing here between me. There's no family system. There's no institutional system or faith system or religious system. There's no people system or cultural system that's standing between me and God and obscuring and obstructing my view of the goodness of God. No, all of that stuff is being removed. And I'm standing right here face to face, my eyes fixed on Christ, eye to eye, heart to heart. And I see him in a way I never have seen him before because all that other junk has been removed and has been tossed away. That's the beauty of, that. that's the greatest part of redemption. Not that our life is okay all of a sudden. Not that our situations fall into place. Not that we get the things that we desire, but that we see God for who he is without anyone or anything obstructing our view. It's incredible. So a new knowing. In Psalm 63, verses one through eight, they're gonna put it on the screen. I believe we have it. I don't want to read all of it. I just, I want to look at it once they get it up there. The Psalm 63, it's a popular, oh God, my God, earnestly I seek you. Take a look at that for a moment. Consider the words of David. The description there of recognizing darkness, weariness, dryness. Go to the next screen. Beholding your power, But now I'm recognizing this is a dry and weary land, but I'm seeing you. I'm seeing your face. I'm seeing your glory. Despite what I see externally around me, I see you. The goodness of who you are. I will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. You can go to the next slide. And then my soul, not only do I see your goodness, but my soul is satisfied. My soul is content. My soul is at peace. My soul is at rest. Go to the next slide because you have been my help, because I have seen you in the midst of the dark night, because I've experienced your light in the midst of the dark night, because I've experienced your deliverance. I've experienced the victory that you have given me over my enemies. And so I'm gonna cling to you and I'm gonna lean into you. But consider this, when David was writing that Psalm, in Psalm 63, just a few chapters before that, he was in the desert of Judah, chapters in, in uh, chapter 60. This is, verse, uh, this is chapter 63, but in chapter 60, he was in the desert of Judah. 
and he pens words. I encourage you, go visit it. Write down Psalm 63 of what David is saying, his expression to the Lord, and then write down Psalm 60 and go visit that and see the words that David is using. Catastrophic attacks, defeat in the Israelite army, and David's got his finger shaking at God at that point in accusation. The words in Psalm 60 are harsh, and they are demanding. They accuse God of his actual neglect. They're broken, and they're desperate. That was Psalm 60. David accusing God. But in the following chapters, we see this movement. We see this change and this shift, and we see Psalm 62, verse 1. It says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. And we see um, an example of David where he says, God, I'm accusing you of neglect. I have questions for you. I'm demanding that you answer my request and my need and my questions. And then as he stays in the midst of that battle of the will and the wrestling, he moves to a place of like, okay, my soul will wait in silence. I'll make an acceptance of this. I'll sit here and I'll wait on your salvation. I'm going to trust. And then he moves to Psalm 63 and then he is at a different place and he is expressing a different kind of trust and a different kind of hope. In just those movements from Psalm 60 to Psalm 63, we see a whole cycle. It's not up there. Sorry, I keep asking you to like back, pop back and forth. But we see the whole cycle of the battle of the will and a mourning that's occurring in David. And then we see David moving to surrender. And then we see David moving to redemption as he sees the goodness of God. And in fact, when we look throughout all of the Psalms, we see David walking that cycle over and over again. And so that's my, my other point to this is that it won't be just one time <laughs> over. You're going to cycle through that throughout your life. But God is in the midst of it, and there's going to be a growing redemption, a wider place, a deeper place of his redemption, because you begin to know the face of God. David knew the face of God. In fact, through all of David's brokenness, through all of the fights and the wars that David was in, where his very life was in danger over and over and over again, through the points where David killed a person, had an affair, just brokenness. In the end, God calls David a man after his own heart. Because David, throughout all of that journey of his life, kept pushing forward through the dark nights of the soul. He journeyed through the wall. He lamented. He cried out. And then he moved to trust. And then he cried out again. And then he moved to trust because David knew the face of God so much that he was a man after God's own heart. He knew the face of God. And then finally, in redemption, there is a renewed trust that when we begin to see God for who he is, and I will say this, it's not just seeing the knowing of seeing God for who he is, but it's the knowing of he knows us now because we have bared our soul, because we have brought our whole self before him. And when we bring our whole self before him, holding nothing back, believing in faith that he won't reject us, it's not just us knowing him. He begins to know us. We allow him completely in, and it's a marriage of the two, a dance, if you will, where there's a knowing of him and there's a knowing where we're known. And what is one of our greatest needs as humanity, literal inherent needs of humanity is to be known is to be seen, and is to belong. And that is the dance. That's the marriage that occurs 
And then, of course, it just makes perfect sense. Then what comes next is a renewed trust. I don't trust you if I don't know you. I don't trust you if I, don't, if I have a skewed, per, skewed perspective of who you are. I don't trust you if I don't feel like you've earned my trust. But in this coming of redemption and this coming together with Christ, with God, who, who we really are for who he really is, of course there's going to be a trust, an immovable trust, that no matter what does come in our life, no matter the trials that come, no matter the difficulties that come, that trust of it's me and God. I don't know what's happening over here. I don't know what all that is. I don't know what those people are doing to me and how that hurts me and how that offends me and how that breaks my heart. But I know God. And God and I, we're immovable. And because God and I are immovable, I can stand in the midst of that trial. And just as Taryn read earlier in 1 Peter, that I can stand in the midst, I know my inheritance. I know that relationship that I have with God. I know that it's going to produce goodness in me. It's going to produce character in, in me. It's refining me that these trials, yes, I've had to deal with them for a little while, but it is refining me and making me into who I am. And then I have an inheritance that will never fade and that will never pass away. That it says in, in James, it says in James, it says, consider it pure joy that you face trials for many, in uh, many ways. Someone else looking at this, like, how in the world can I ever get to a place where I consider it joy that I'm in the midst of these trials? That's because of the goodness, the knowing, and the being known, and the stable trust in God. And so what happens in the midst of those trials? I consider it pure joy. Right now, I got a trial happening in my life. In my life personally, I don't like it. There's offense that's present. There's discouragement that's present. There's questions of, God, what are you doing in the midst of this? And there's a whole lot of scenarios of the way this trial can play out that will actually just not be good at all. But you guys, I'm standing, I stand to testify to you today that I'm standing in the midst of that trial, immovable, where in fact I'm like, dang, I'm proud of myself. Look how I am handling this. And when I say that, I am boasting in the Lord because I am recognizing that, man, God has done its work in me. I'm not fighting back. I'm not pushing. I'm not shoving to try to get in the middle of the trial, to try to fix it, to solve it, to try to figure it out. I'm literally standing here of like, yeah, I know this is going on and I don't like it and it's wrong, but I know who I am. And other people are involved in it and I'm going, I know who I am. Do you know who you are? Because I'm just going to stay right here and I'm going to keep walking forward with God. So you do what you need to do, but I'm going to be right here. And I'm actually okay with that. And I'm at peace and I'm content with that. That's considering it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. That's the goodness of God. The redemption of God. Jeremiah says it best. He says, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. There's no fear when heat comes. The leaves are always green, has no worries in a year of drought, and never fails to bear fruit. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places in the wilderness and uninhabited salt land, and yet he's still bearing fruit. And yet he's still seeing the goodness of God in the midst of it. That's the trust that we work towards, that we move towards in this dance, in this marriage with our God. <laughs> as we learn him and as he learns us, but it requires us to participate. 
It requires us to not run through or run over or run, awa- or run around to avoid or to escape the pain that can become present. It requires us to be in the midst of it. I have a song that I want to play and what I want you to do to end this because I recognize, again, we can't, I talked about this last week, we can't do this journey alone. Not the journey, if you are in a dark, the dark night of the soul is not like the, the simple trials of life that just frustrate us. The dark night of the soul, oftentimes you can actually have a dark night of the soul and everything externally be okay and you're like, what is wrong with me? I should be okay right now. Life is good, life is fine. It's a dark night of the soul because it's not necessarily about what's happening out here. Now, what's happening out here could have propelled us into the dark night of the soul. But the dark night of the soul isn't about the external. It's about the internal. And so the recognition is if you are in the midst of that dark night of the soul, you can't go it alone. You cannot do it alone. Everything within you may want to do it alone, but you can't go it alone. And so I'm going to take a risk of sounding like a broken record like, we ha- like we've been saying over the last several weeks is that you have a community of people right here in this room that are walking through similar things. Walking through similar frustrations, walking through similar pain, walking through this journey. Some that are further down the road, some that are just starting, some that are still trying to consider, do I even want to engage in this? Is it even worth it? Some who don't even know if they truly believe in God enough to take this journey. We're all at different places, but we're in it together. And we need companions alongside of us. And so what I want to do this morning, I hope that this word has encouraged you to stick it out. I hope that this word has encouraged you to have hope, that there is hope present, that God is so in the midst of this. So if you haven't seen any light in the mist lately, may I be a source of strange light, quirky light, messy light, but may I be a source of light to you today to say that God is here. I'm here to tell you a tangible sense, me today, God is in the mist and you will not be overcome. You will not be overcome if you stay with him through this. You will not be overcome. And then you have each other. So what I want to do today is I'm going to ask you to do something that you may or may not be comfortable with. And you you get to make the choice this morning. We never force anybody here. But I want to invite you to share with another person this morning. To pray with another person. You don't have to share your whole story. That's not what we're looking for. But you can share. Maybe you want to share, I'm in the battle of the wills. I'm in the battle of, you know, Morning, if like I recognize it and I'm working through it. I'm in, you know, maybe you want to share it in that way. Maybe you don't want to share anything, but you're just going to pray together. I want you to take a step of faith of action right now and actually reach out to one another here, okay? And again, I'm not going to force you to do this. If you're not ready for that, we understand that, and that is okay. There's permission giving and grace giving in that, of course. But we're going to play a song And that's what I want to encourage you to do. But I do encourage you, if you're not quite ready to step out with another person, that I encourage you to kind of just bring it in with you and God and take a moment to reflect, okay? And then I'm going to pray afterwards.